Well, as y'all know, that has been our focus for the last uh, about the last five weeks in our church, and so today we are concluding our capital campaign program. And you heard me outline just some of the basic things that this campaign is going to go towards, but uh, and some of it makes some of you want to scream. And uh, so anyway. Uh, what we're going to do is we're just going to talk about we're going to talk about the, the power of God and, and not underestimating what God can do. I think a lot of times we get into trouble whenever we underestimate not just the power of God, but when we underestimate opponents that maybe that we have or our competitors that we have at work or opponents that we have whenever you're on the athletic field or something like that. Uh, Arnold Palmer read a story about him. He had he got invited to speak to a blind golfers convention. Uh, pretty interesting. So he went and spoke to the guys, and as he's talking to them, uh, he said, "I just, I, I have no idea how you guys are able to play such a great round of golf." He said, "How do y'all even, how do y'all even hit the ball?" And uh, one of the men said, "He said, well, we have a guy that goes ahead of us. And this is true. Goes ahead of them, and he will ring a bell." And he said, "And we hit the ball in that direction." And Palmer was just amazed by that. And the man said, "And I tell you what, he goes, I, I am so confident in my game." that I will bet you $10,000 that I can beat you in a round of golf. Now, of course, Arnold Palmer, a guy who won, I believe, like eight major championships, uh, said, you know, that's, that's, uh, that's great that you're confident in your game. I just, I'd, I'd love to just play a round of golf with you. We don't play for money. And so the guy was so persistent, finally, Palmer, he actually kind of got tired of it, and he said, fine. He said, uh, you just tell me when we play, and I'm, I'm going to be there. And the guy said, we're going to play at 1030. Tonight, now, uh, you guys, it's uh, it's always important that you never underestimate your opponent. And I think most of us know this. We know this in the business world. We know this, and I mean, some of you know this in family life. You know, you know that it's important for you to spend time with your your spouse and your children because if you don't, then man, miscommunication, all that stuff can lead you onto a downward spiral in your family life. So many of us are aware of this, but I believe one area where a lot of us underestimate is the whole issue of of a relationship with God. Many of us underestimate the power of God and what God can do in our lives and what God can do in the life of a church. And so it's, it's my hope that, that we are going to take time simply today to look and see why it's so necessary, important, that we don't underestimate the power of God. Because I really believe that God has placed Village Church here. He's placed you here. He's placed you in your communities where you live and the places that you work and where you go to school so that he can work in your life and do great, life-changing, eternal-impacting things around all those people. And so if you have your Bible, I'd like for you to look with me in 1 Kings chapter 20. Uh, we're going to look in verse number 23 in just a few moments. If you have your Bible and you wonder where that is, uh, it is, uh, you know, pretty much just go to the front of the Bible, turn right a little bit. I'm on 304, page 304 in my Bible. But today in our scripture, we're going to see a nation that underestimated the power of God. And uh, they underestimated the power of God and it ended up getting them into trouble. And what I want us to see today is some reasons why we should never underestimate our God and what he can do through us and how he can work in our midst. And so just as you're, as you're turning there, we're going to look there in a moment and give you a little bit of background information. At this time, Israel was uh, being picked on by a nation up north. It was the nation of Aram, sort of like where Syria is today. And Aaron was giving them a hard time. And Israel was led by a king that was not exactly known as being a godly guy. 
Um, his name was Ahab. And you can see his character in 1 Kings 16, verse number 30. It's what it says about Ahab. It says, Ahab, the son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. And because of his wickedness, uh, because of his refusal to follow God, God weakened this nation, the nation of Israel. And so Aram came along and Aram came down. They said, listen, if you don't surrender everything that you've got, we're going to destroy you. And guess what Israel decides to do at this point? All of a sudden, they decide to get godly. They decide that we're in trouble. They decide we're going to pray out to God and ask him to rescue us. And so God, in his grace, listens to their prayers. And God gave Israel an incredible victory over Aram. Now, you might say, I didn't come here for a history lesson. What's this all about? Well, there's actually, I think there's some good stuff in here that we can see. And one of the things that we can see is that Aram got, the nation of Aram got into trouble because they underestimated the power of God. Uh, Israel got into trouble. They quit following after God because they put more trust in themselves than they did in God. And so what's going on in our text that we're going to read in just a moment is that the nation of Aram was so surprised at how powerful God was, they said, something weird just happened here. We shouldn't have lost to this country. And so they got together and they began to try to come up with a new plan on how they could get back at Israel, how they could have another war with them. And what was going to happen in this process is, once again, they're going to underestimate God. And guys, I don't want us as a church, as believers, to ever underestimate the power of God. I want us to see big things as a church. I want us to see that in our lives, we have a God who is more powerful than anything that's in our world today. That he is one that we can trust in. Now, now why is that? Well, let's look in our text. Why should we never underestimate God? First thing that I see in our text today is because God is everywhere. God should not be underestimated because he's everywhere. In verse number 23... It says, meanwhile, the officials of the king of Aram advised him, their gods are the gods of the hills. That is why they were too strong for us. But if we fight them on the plains, surely we will be stronger than they. Uh, The king of Aram's name, not that you care, but his name was Ben-Hadad. And so Ben-Hadad, after they lost this battle, they got together and said, why did we lose? And his advisors came up with a pretty good idea. They said, we lost... Because their God helped them out in the hills. Now, you have to understand that during this time, all the ancient nations believed that they had their own God for their own nation. And so they said, we got in trouble because we didn't fight where our God is. We fought where their God is. And they said, it's a, it's a land that's mountainous. And Aram is a little bit flatter than Israel. And they said, we need to fly, fight him in the plains. It'll be better. Um, Emily and I have had the opportunity to go to Israel uh, five different times. And when we go there, I always like to go and I, I will run in Jerusalem. And it's, it's a hilly place. Surprisingly, it's a hilly place. By the time we're, I'm done running, after about like 15 minutes, I can barely breathe. And so I, I looked at this text. And I said, man, I don't blame them. They don't want to fight there again. They want to fight somewhere where it's level, where they're not going to lose their breath or something like that. Now, that makes a whole lot of sense right there. But their view of God, of the, of the one true God, got them into trouble because it was very limited. They thought, we can actually get outside of, of the range of God, the God of Israel, and we can fight them in a different place and be victorious. 
Now, Israel was not known as being great fighters in the plains. This might have given them some confidence as well. In Judges 1.19, it says the Lord was with the men of Judah. They took possession of the hill country, but were unable to drive the people from the plains because they had iron chariots. Now, the Arameans, their thinking, it seems to me to be very logical. I mean, I'll look at it and i say, I understand their plan here. That we lost in the mountains, we're going to fight them in the plains here. But the problem is, they, they, they saw God as being limited. That God was not everywhere. That God could only work in, in certain areas. That God only has reign and rule in just certain parts of our lives. And the rest of it, it's, you know, it's, it's just sort of up for grabs. As I thought about that, I, really, I believe that a lot of us do the same thing today. Now, we're not talking about war here in our lives, but I think a lot of us, we, we view God as being, as being really only necessary in a couple parts of our lives, and that whenever it gets outside of you know, the church area, then we can live like we want to, because God really doesn't have a say there. You know, so many times there are people who, who view God as, as being important only, you know, only at, at weddings and funerals. You know, it's always interesting to me. There's some people that, that will never darken the door of the church or never read Scripture, but whenever it comes time to be married or whenever it comes time to be buried, they want it to happen in the church because they believe, well, that's where God's supposed to have reign in your life, you know, at weddings and funerals. Guys, let me tell you something. God is bigger than weddings and funerals. Did you know that God wants to be a part of every part of your life? And the reason why is because our God is so much bigger than we can even fathom that he can make an impact to us than far beyond what we ever could dream. Let me try to give you an idea of, of the bigness of God. There is a children's author named Robert Wells who wrote a book called Is a Blue Whale the Biggest Thing There Is? Now I'm just going to read you just a little excerpt from a, from a children's book, but bear with me, but I think it's kind of interesting. It says, while a blue well is huge, it's not anywhere as near as big as a mountain. If you put a hundred blue wells in a huge jar, you could put millions of whale jars inside a hollowed out Mount Everest. He said, but Mount Everest isn't anywhere near as big as the earth. If you stacked a hundred Mount Everest on top of each other, he said, Mount Everest would just be like a whisker on the face of the earth. And the earth isn't anywhere as near as big as the sun. You could fit one million earths inside the sun. But the sun, isn't, which is a medium-sized star, isn't anywhere near as big as a red supergiant star called Antares. Fifty million of our suns could fit inside Antares. Antares isn't anywhere as big as the Milky Way galaxy. I promise this is going to end. Uh, billions of stars, including Antares, make up the Milky Way galaxy. But the Milky Way isn't anywhere as near as big as our universe. There are billions of other galaxies in our universe, and yet filled with billions of galaxies, the universe is almost totally empty. And this is it right here. And the creator of this universe is God, who with a word spoke it all into being. I read that and I thought, that's pretty cool. I read that God is big, is he not? God is the God who, who created all these things. He spoke it with just a simple word, spoke it into being. Now, if that's true, and I believe that it is true, then that means that, that God's bigger than we think. And God knows what's going on in your life. And he's interested in what's going on in your life, even in the secretive parts 
of your life. And I want you to know that you can never run away or get away from God because God is everywhere. Remember we talked about Jonah just a couple of months ago? Jonah tried to run away from God. How successful was he at that? He wasn't successful. He couldn't get away from God. And I want you to know that wherever you go, God will be there. And that should be comfort to us. And he said, well, how do you know that? Well, again, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 4, 5, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and expose the motives of men's hearts. At that time, each will receive his praise from God. All right, now knowing that, the question for you is, are you proud of the way you're living? Are you living your life knowing that God is everywhere? Knowing that God can work in you and through you? You see, it, it, should be, it should bring comfort to us to know that God is everywhere. Because that means that regardless of what you're going through, whether it be good or bad, God is there and He understands what you're experiencing. But He can also bring you power into your life where you are, wherever you are. Why? Because God is big. Folks, let us never underestimate God. Village Church, let's never underestimate God. Now, I know that, you know, you, I, I know for, for Emily and I and, and a couple other people, when we started the church, we, we met in a living room. Guys, did we ever think that God would do the work that he's done this past year? I think some of us had a dream of that, but, we, but when it became a reality, oh, gosh, we started saying, you know what, God is big. And yet we are just simply touching the edges what God's going to do. So why should we never underestimate God? Because guys, God's everywhere. That's important for us to understand as, as Christians, as a church. But another reason we should never underestimate God, and I really like this one, is because God can't be defeated. We should no, never underestimate God because God will never lose in anything in this life. Now, in verse number 24, it says, this is the, the Aramean speaking, it says, Do this, remove all the kings from their commands and replace them with other officers. You must also raise an army like the one you lost, horse for horse and chariot for chariot, so we can fight Israel on the plains. Then surely we will be stronger than they. And he agreed with them and acted accordingly. Now, what good is it if a God's all-knowing, if God's everywhere, and yet God can't provide? You know, sort of like if you go to the doctor and the doctor's able to tell you, hey, listen, I see all the symptoms you've got, I see what's wrong with you, but I can't do anything about it. I really think that some people view God in a similar way. They see God as knowing their lives, but he's not able to do anything with them. That's how the Arameans viewed Israel's God. They said, hey, you know, if, if we can just simply get away from him, if we can get out of the hills and move down to the plains, there's no way that God can beat us. And so they began to make battle plans on how to keep God at bay in their lives. And the verses I just read, it says, we'll, we'll replace our old generals with new ones. Now we're going to get the old equipment that we had, and we're going to bring in new equipment. Then we're going to be able to beat God and his people. Now that sounds good, but the problem is they had a God-sized problem and they tried to approach it with man-made solutions. And anytime you pit God against man, let me tell you who's going to win every time. It's going to be God. Yeah, how do I know? Well, again, 1 Corinthians one twenty-five says, The foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom. I don't care how smart you think you are. Guys, God is wiser than we are. The weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. 
understand that no matter where you go, no matter what you do, God cannot be defeated. Now the Arameans tried to take precautions so they could keep God at bay. And I think there's a lot of us that, that God works in our lives and yet we try to keep God at bay in our lives time and time again. Because we just don't want God to have charge. A lot of us are afraid to trust God because we think, well, what if, what if He doesn't come through with what He says? I trust myself more. And some of us start making deals with God. I, I know I've made deals with God before. God, if you just don't make me preach, you know, man, I'll, I'll, do, I'll do anything. Just don't let me become a preacher. You know, I'll even become a lawyer. You know, that's what I thought I was going to become. Man, you know, God just wouldn't leave me alone. Now, we make deals with God. Lord, if you'll just leave me alone, if you'll just quit, if you'll quit bothering me about the way that I'm living my life, God, I will come to church twice a month. I mean, how awesome is that? God, if you'll just leave me alone and you'll allow me to live as I please, God, I'll even come up here and I'll drop my kids off for church functions. And we make all these different kinds of deals with God. Even in our nation, as a society, we, we try to keep God at bay. Remember a few years ago, there was a choir director in a school district that during Christmas, she got fired because all of the songs during the Christmas program were focused on the birth of Christ. How odd is that? And so she got fired for that. And we try to keep God at bay time and time again in our lives. Guys, regardless of what we do, God will always be victorious. God can never be defeated. The God who created our universe, do you really think that we can beat him? No way. I read John Fox's book called The Book of Martyrs. Some of you are probably familiar with it. It was written in the 1500s. It's uh, stories about people who died for their faith, who were, who were persecuted and killed. One of the stories in there is about a man named William Tyndall. He was born in 1496 in England. Brilliant man, had a great gift with languages. And he became a Christian in the early 1500s. When he became a Christian, he felt God calling him to use his gifts for his glory. And he took the Bible and he became the first man ever to translate the Bible into English. Now you would think, well, that's really cool. That's a great thing. The church leaders became angry at him. Because, you see, they, their belief was that they should be the only ones who could dispense what Scripture said. And so they took William Tyndall, they arrested him, they strangled him, and burned him at the stake until he died. See, they thought they had solved the problem. They thought they had defeated this man. But what they didn't know is that word had already gotten out, the Bible had already gotten out, and a great revival broke out all throughout England. And it was just a reminder to me that even when we think we've got God by the throat, that we can defeat Him, that God is able to be victorious regardless. Guys, I want you to know that that no matter what we are going through, no matter what we face, no matter what challenges we have before us, no matter what dreams we have as a church and as a people that seems so big, we're, gonna, we're saying we're going to impact Haiti. We're going to impact Blythe when you think, yeah, that sounds great. That's good to say, but I mean, are you really? You know what? We believe our God is so big that we can. And that God can take our fears and he can turn them into victories. You see, we should never underestimate God because God's everywhere. And we should never underestimate what God can do through us because God can never be defeated. And the last thing that I want us to see, our last focus, is we should ne never underestimate God. And I like this one a lot, because God can use anyone. 
God can use anybody for his glory. In verses 26 through 28, it says, it says, The next spring, Ben-Hadad, the king of Aram, mustered the Arameans and went up to Aphek to fight against Israel. He's doing it again. And when the Israelites were also mustered and given provisions, they marched out to meet them. And the Israelites camped opposite them like two small flocks of goats, while the Arameans covered the countryside. And the man of God came up and told the king of Israel, This is what the Lord says. Because the Arameans think the Lord is a God of the hills and not a God of the valleys, I will deliver this vast army into your hands, and you will know that I'm the Lord. Now, you know, it's great to sit here and talk about the power of God. And we can sit here and say, man, it's so neat that God's powerful, that God's strong, that I don't think God could use somebody like me. You know, I, 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 some of you might think, you know, I'm just shy. I don't have a whole lot of talents or gifts. I really, I don't see how God could, could work in somebody like me. Now, if you say that, I want, you to, I want you to know that I really believe that the Israelites, as they're getting ready to fight Aram again, I think they thought the same thing. I think that their, their thinking was, could God actually give us another victory? Because we're, we're not that impressive. If you look into our text again, verses 26 through 28, I really like these. It says, when they got up to fight, it says, the Arameans, it says, they covered the entire countryside. It's a huge army. Y'all remember what it said about Israel's army? It says they were like two flocks of what? Goats. Two flocks of goats. Now, I, I love sports. And I was just thinking, can you imagine that there was like an announcer out there, you know, getting two, two, uh, you know, the two opposing teams getting ready to face each other. And here comes the Israelites. Man, they're an impressive lot. They look like two flocks of goats. I mean, I thought about that. I thought, that is not, I would rather him say, you know, they look, they, these guys are intimidating. They look like, you know, just, they look like a group of bears or lions. Instead, it's a, and this, this is my luck. It's a two flat. He looks, and I tell you what, he looks like a goat man. And I think that is not good. Now, these people on their own, you know what? They were unimpressive. Two small flocks of goats. But you know what's really neat about this? You know what the good news is? It doesn't matter what you look like, it doesn't matter how big you are or how strong you think you are. God can use anyone for his glory. If they are willing to be used by God. You know, one of my most, most encouraging verses I see in scriptures in 1 Corinthians one twenty seven, It says, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. Now, what does that, what does that mean for us? It means that God can use you even in your weakness to bring him glory. Village church, we're not the biggest church in the world. But you know what? I think we're an impressive group of goats that God can use to give us a big victory. That God can use a group of people out in rural northeast Columbia. Now, now some of you wish it was still more rural than it is now. Some of us think it's the city. But God can use people like us to impact, and I'm serious, the young people who are growing up here right now to become the next generation of leaders in our state. God can use people just like us, this church that sits on 14 and a half acres, 
to transform the lives of children in Haiti. God can use a church just like us to gather together and to say, God, we will believe you for great things because we believe that you are a mighty God. God can take a life that has been scarred by divorce and bring healing into it. He can take a life that has been absolutely in bondage to alcohol and give that person freedom. Our God is a big God. In Village Church, the call that we have today as we look into Scripture is never underestimate the power of God. Never underestimate God. Why? Three basic reasons. God's everywhere. God is every God is with us today. Secondly, God can't be defeated. And God can use anyone. And that means us. Now the last several weeks, last five weeks, we've been talking about what we feel like God's leading us to do as a church. You know, this is just a, this is a, like I said last time, last week. I said this is just the one step in many steps that are coming for our church. It's just that this is the time for us now. And this step for our church right now, you know, why, why are we doing this capital campaign? Three basic, I'm just going to cover them again. Three basic reasons. One, we, we want to be good stewards of what God's given us. He's given us this building. We've been here for a little over a year. We need to work towards paying down the debt on, that, on this. Secondly, we believe God's called us to upgrade our ministries and our facilities. You know, we showed you all drawings last week of, of a new children's and youth areas. The children's area is going to run this way and the youth area is coming this way. It's going to be a little you. Building church will be you. Now, why are we doing that? Because God's blessing us with people. And we need to prepare ourselves to impact the lives of more and more young people. That's, like, that's part of the calling God's given us as a church. And the third thing is 10% of our capital campaign is going to go towards the orphanage in Haiti that we're working with and our future trips down there. Now, I'm excited to see what God's going to do. That's this is just the first step in many. But we believe that this year, this is where God is leading us. Now, I know that some of you, you have received in the mail this week, you've received a, a card from the church, a capital campaign card. And I'm going to, I've got one right up here. If you have your card here today, in just a few moments, I'm going to ask you as families to simply pray and say, God, what is it that you want us to do? And I'm trusting that you've been praying about it. And this isn't between you and me, it's between you and God. And so however God's leading you, you just, you just for one year, from November to November, say so this is what our family is going to do towards this capital campaign. Just write down the amount. And then as an act of worship, I thought it would be kind of neat for us to do something different. It's an act of worship. If you have your card and you put it in your envelope, or if you don't have your envelope, just bend it and fold it so it will be private. You come while James and the band are playing, and you'll just simply lay it on the stage as an offering, saying, God, this is what I'm going to do. And you lay it here. Now, some of you who are more like me, probably didn't bring your cards today and because we are so professional and organized we have these envelopes up here that have cards in them and there's some pens and you can come after you pray and you can fill out your card and put it in the envelope and then just lay it up here as an act of service and worship to god and again we're, we're not pressuring you to do anything it's between you and the lord now there are others of you here today and you might say well this is all great but I, I want to know about this Jesus that you say is everywhere, that is powerful, that can use somebody like me. I'd like to follow him and give my life to him.
And that's the most important thing. And if that's you, I want, I want to, to challenge you as we are praying, you talk to God yourself. And you could talk to Him silently and just simply say, Jesus, today, I, I want to give myself to you. I don't want to underestimate you anymore. Jesus, I am trusting you with my life to forgive me of my sin and to raise me into a new life with Christ. And I am trusting that one day you will bring me to be with you in heaven. And I'll encourage you just simply to talk to God and and, and pray to Him. And if you do that, you can take your bullets and you can open it up and just check that, that on the right side, check that line. It says, I committed my life to Christ. And you tear that out and put that in the offering basket at the end of the service so that we can get you some information in growing in your walk with Jesus. Let's bow for a word of prayer. And then I want to encourage you to take time to pray. And if you have your cards, you can bring them up front, lay them down. If you don't, you can come fill one out as an offering to the Lord. But let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful that we can look into Scripture and we can see that you are a God who has has the power to do all things. You have the power to use ordinary people to make an eternal impact in the lives of those around us. And Jesus, I pray that as a church, that as individual Christians, we will never, ever underestimate what God can do when we willingly put ourselves at your service. Jesus, bless this time. And I pray, Father, that that those who have never trusted you with their lives, God, I pray that right now they'll begin to pray and just simply say, Jesus, save me. Transform me. Father, I pray that this will be a special time as we take this time right now to bring our our pledge cards and just simply lay them on the stage as an offering to you. I pray these things in Christ's name.